Today in Flex in the City, we talk to Mark Paulson, who talks to us about why financial services needs to stop taking itself so seriously, allow people to be themselves, and why financial services need to go on their own version of Undercover Boss. All that happening in Flex and the City. Hello, everybody. This is Rachel Treese for Flex and the City, and I'm thrilled to have Mark Paulson with me. Mark is the principal of the Langcat, and the Langcat is a marketing and consultancy in long-term savings and investment. And as you will hear from Mark's beautiful accent, he is based in Scotland. Hello, Mark. Hello, Rachel. How are you doing? Very well, thank you very much. Unfortunately, on the day of recording today, being an English girl, um, I'm feeling a little bit sad because we didn't manage to win the European Cup. You did not. It's going Rome. It's going to Rome. It's going to Rome. It's going Rome. It is indeed. Yeah. So Mark, we'd love to know a little bit more about you. Can you tell us a little bit about you know how you ended up being the principal of the Lancat and and tell us a bit about the history and how how you got there? Sure, because we're 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 a bit of a funny bunch and uh, a lot smaller than your normal guests. I mean, I might be the same size as them, I guess, uh, individually, but our company is quite small. So we're based out of Edinburgh. In Scotland, we're a little company, just about 20 people, and we specialise in the long-term savings and investment sector, mainly in the UK, but in other kind of interesting places as well, but in Australia and South Africa and, and other places. Yeah. Um, what we're about really is trying to, well, we want to leave the industry a better place than we found it. And the way that we do that is to try and shorten the distance between the ideas that the very, very clever people in financial services have and the reality of what gets done with the stuff that they produce. And so between you know a great idea in a workshop or a boardroom or whatever else and what actually gets used either by professional intermediaries like uh, financial advisors or wealth managers right. and certainly customers, the poor schmucks at the end of the line who trust their money to this in incredibly large industry and just kind of hope that everything's going to be okay. That distance needs to shorten. And so we try and get in there and try and make sure that things are built better and described better so that people can understand them a bit more. See, that's a really interesting question. So uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to go back to the, to the UK to see my parents and they've got a document um, laid out on the table, which was to do with their, their pension. And I've worked in financial services for so many years, and it was unfathomable, Mark. And, and so I thought, poor mum and dad, you know, what, what can the industry do to make things simpler and easier for people like my mum and dad? I obviously understand the UK best, but this I think this is a global thing. The financial services industry is in love with its own complexity. Right. Yes, complexity by itself is not a bad thing, right? Sometimes things are complex and need to be complex, and that's fine, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. absolutely okay for stuff to be complex. Your iPhone is complex, but what we need to do is be able to give people enough to understand that they can make decisions. And that's about agency. And certainly in the territories in which I work, the idea of giving agency, of giving power to the end consumer yeah. feels very uncomfortable for a lot of the companies that, that we would all know and, and love and work with mm -hmm. because it's a zero-sum game, right? It, it's a seesaw. The, the, the company has to give power for the consumer to get it. There is no additional agency available. We can't make the cake bigger for everybody. So if we 
remove the kind of asymmetry of information, the informational advantage that the insurer or the investment manager, whoever it is, has and say to the customer, look, this is what's going on here. Are you happy with it? Mm. And the customer, what happens if they say no? Oh my goodness. Ah. Then, oh my good. Oh, oh, we don't, don't really want to get into that. And so what we do is we add complexity, we add layering, and a whole industry then gleefully inserts itself between the person, or it might not be a person, it might be a trust or a charity or a pension fund or whatever it may be, and the money. And so their ability to influence what happens, their ability to say, well, just hang on a minute here, not so sure about this, is reduced. And that happens, it's like boiling a frog, right? It happens over time and you don't know it's happened until suddenly you wake up and your parents get an annual statement or something that says, I don't know, you could be due to retire in a few weeks. What is it that you want to do? And everyone say, well, I haven't, I haven't absolutely no idea. Don't ask me because I have been systematically deprived of agency for decades. Uh, And that's worked great for the industry. It probably hasn't worked all that well for consumers. And so one of the things that I think we can do is to try and just give the industry a wee shock sometimes, just to remind it, just a little tap, just to remind it that the money that it looks after isn't its by right it's there because people have said, yes, you can look after this for me temporarily. So it's not your asset. It never was. It's my asset. Yeah. yeah. And so how are you going to serve me to achieve what I want to achieve? Do you even know that? And that's where things like professional representation in terms of intermediaries and so on becomes so important and where the whole industry starts to get a little bit concerned because it's great at dealing with money in very large chunks. It's good at running money. It's yeah. very bad at running people. Yeah. Mm, that's my topic. Looks like we need you, Rachel. Looks like we need what you do. It's good news, Absolutely. Right? So if you were to put a crystal ball in, in, in front of you, Mark, and look at, you know, 20 years ahead, what, what's your prediction for this industry? Where will it go? Oh, man. It, I think where we get to eventually is a world in which there are enough interesting people creating, there's a, a word I don't like, but I'm going to use, which is disruptive experiences, disruptive businesses that try to do things different and better, that we should get to a position where the incumbents, where so much of the wealth is, and I, I don't know uh, across Europe how much there is, but we're talking in the UK about 1.4 to 1.8 trillion pounds sterling um, of assets sitting around that could have something more done with them. That the the guardians of those assets are forced to do better. Um, a friend of mine is involved in uh, AI and healthcare and mm-hmm. and uh, really exciting areas like that. And he has a little phrase he says over and over and over again, uh, which is "Don't do things better, do better things." And I think that's right. So the the do things better mentality, which I think you know the industry does have, is the same mentality that during the pandemic would have led investment providers, certainly in the UK, but I know in Ireland and and in Oz and various other places, to say, well, we we really can't expect people to fill out wet signatures anymore and post them into a post room where they're scanned by somebody. That's not going to happen. What will we do? I know we'll give them a PDF 
of the same thing and ask them to put a digital signature on it and then upload that into a secure portal. And you said, well, that's nonsense as well, right? It's exactly the same thing, just with a digital signature. The the do better things end of it is how do we re-engineer this so that we can trust that person digitally and they never even have to worry about that. And furthermore, how do we work on what is inside that document that they are asked to sign, which is oftentimes 36 pages of total nonsense, so that they feel that they understand what they're doing. The, the, The kind of challenge back you get there is, See, when you click the I accept thing to upgrade your, your version of Android or iOS or whatever else, or your, your Kindle, I think, is 92 pages of terms and conditions or something. Nobody reads that either. Uh, and that's true, but the jeopardy of the Kindle T's and C's biting you is that you might lose some books or you may have a disappointing experience. The jeopardy of this stuff is that your entire future can be wrong. So one of the things that I would like to see is that the documentation that people are asked to engage with isn't so much about ass covering by the sector, which is what a huge amount of it is, and genuinely outlines in language that people can understand what their responsibilities are, the risks they face, and what they're expected to pay for what it is that they're getting. And that shouldn't be beyond the wit of a man or woman uh, in this glorious 2020s decade that we are currently experiencing. Absolutely. Which leads me on to, um, you know, another question. You know, it's often said that people spend more time booking their holidays than they do on their long term saving and investment. What what can we do, Mark, to overcome that? Well, I know quite a lot of people who would say that actually that's exactly as it should be. So the one thing you, unless you're a professional investor or Lord help us, a day trader or a cryptocurrency guy or one, you know, one of these kind of gambling type dudes. Um, you, the last thing you should do is play around with stuff. You should get it all set. Um, investment should be boring and then just don't look. And uh, Warren Buffett, I think, has some good quotes about that and masterly inactivity and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so as my mother used to say, if you pick at it, it'll never get better. So. There are upsides to people engaging in that they have a better chance of properly ensuring their own financial future, putting money aside, investing in their future self and and all that kind of stuff. There are downsides though, which is, oh my goodness, it's gone down 20%. I need to sell it when that in fact may be entirely the wrong thing to do. So quite a lot of what professional advisors do, and I know this will be the same in all the territories where, where people are listening from, is try to knock off the worst excesses of herd mentality and the bad kind of behavioral aspects that come in with investment because our inner kind of our inner cave person is not very well equipped for dealing with uh, the cyclical nature of financial markets and all the rest of it. So it's it's about having enough attention and no more than that. And there's something in that because I think one of the things where companies go wrong is that they try to sex it up a little bit. They try to get people coming back all the time to come in and check on stuff. And really maybe maybe once or twice a year is 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 cool, right? That that's kind of what you want. If you've got very specific circumstances that need something different, then fine. But somebody, I don't know, in their forties who's saving up for their pension for mm-hmm. retiring in their sixties or seventies or whatever it may be kind of stick the money in and shut up 
Um, but to do that, you've got to have confidence in what you've done in the first place. Yeah, yeah. So we've talked about, um, you know, from the 40s onwards, and, and you've got kids and, and I've got my daughter. Um, how are we going to keep this next generation en- engaged? You know, do we need to be on TikTok, Mark? I don't know. I just think we haven't beaten them enough. We should beat them more, shouldn't we? I think that's probably the answer. Um, that was always my uh, uh, my old headmaster's um, opinion on it. And look, we're all engaged with finance, so that must have worked. Um, I I don't know, but I don't think I meant to know uh, because I'm old. I'm I'm not uh-huh. fifty yet, but I'm a lot more than forty, and so it's not up to me anymore. This next generation uh, will need to find their way through it in the same way that we did. There was a really interesting study done, I think it was by BlackRock in the States. It was certainly in the States. It was one of the big uh, houses over there. And they asked a bunch of younger people with money, so kind of 20 and 30 year olds, do you still want somebody to help you with big financial decisions and planning out your finances? And the overwhelming response was, hell yes. They said, do you want to use the same kind of services that your parents have used to plan their finances? And the answer was a resounding hell no. Mm. So it wasn't that people didn't want somebody to help. It's that the idea of the nice gentleman or lady in their suit coming and sitting in your uh, living room and eating your biscuits and drinking your coffee and uh, for three hours uh, and sharing your inside leg measurement with them and so on and so on and so on just had no relevance. But that's okay, right? That's okay because those people will continue to serve those with the wealth already. And certainly in most developed economies, no great surprise, right? The, the top two deciles of the, of the population control most of the wealth. Most of those people are age 50 plus. So there's a whole industry that's per- it's like perfectly attuned. It's like an athlete that is brilliantly, brilliantly attuned to running the 100 meters. But that's all they can do. If you ask them to do the Tour de France, they wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, even though they could run faster than anyone alive. So this industry is beautifully set for serving those people. The next lot will then, I think, make their own version of that. I don't think the existing industry changes itself to serve that group. I think that group creates its own as it comes through. And if we're lucky, those of us who are, you know, getting on a bit and, um, uh, have all this vested interest. If we're lucky, we get to play, but mm. it will be born from them rather than born from us because that sense of, of kind of patrician, um, this is what you need to do doesn't work. And it's for that reason, I suspect that we see many younger people getting into potentially quite dangerous behaviors. It might work really well, but dangerous behaviors about meme stocks and cryptocurrencies and, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So as you know, Mark, Flexon City is all about leadership. So I'd love to ask you, you've worked in financial services for many years. Who was the most inspiring leader in the financial services industry? Gosh, there are a couple of people that spring to mind. One person I, th- I think you know, Rachel, as well. There's a, a guy who set up a business, also Edinburgh-based, which is um, obviously a prerequisite for being a great leader, uh, is to come from Edinburgh. A guy called Dave Ferguson. Uh-huh. I set up a business called Nucleus, uh, which is an investment platform which allows uh, financial advisors to hold and buy and sell investments for their clients, which doesn't sound all that exciting. But at the time that Dave set it up, it represented a kind of countercultural way of working, which said that the most important 
person in the whole kind of universe uh, of, of what we're doing here is the end client and specifically the advisor that serves that end client. And as many of your, your listeners will, I'm sure, know, we've, we've gone through a big wave of regulation in the UK, which has, in effect, relocated a lot of power and responsibility with the client and with their professional representatives. We call that the retail distribution review here. And part of what that's done is break the link where the provider or the asset manager dictated to the client or to the advisor or to the client's advisor, sorry, what it was they were going to have to put up with and what they were going to do. And Nucleus rode that wave and Dave was absolutely instrumental in making that happen. Now the actual process inside Dave's platform business, which has recently been sold, um, is no different to anywhere else, right? It's buy investments, hold uh-huh. them, report on them, sell them again when you're bored of them, right? That's it. But it's what goes around it and it's what he created around that that I think is inspiring. He managed to group a, a team of people around him and sustain that over time who shared his vision. He absolutely put himself on the line, put his body on the line, absolutely carried on with it. You know, I'm not advocating this, but definitely done himself a couple of mischiefs along the way in terms of his own health and all that kind of stuff because he was absolutely single-minded about it. And it's, it's quite hard to not admire someone that tries to buck against an industry that's got incredible power, is 150 years old at least in its current form, and says, no, actually... Uh, we're going to do it the other way around. All the people you thought are important are no longer important. We'll try and spin that round. And that, you know, that'll do for me, I think. So you're a leader yourself. You've got 20 people about to, about to have 20 people working at your organization. What would you say you stand for as a leader, Mark? Oh, man. I try to create a place where people. I'm 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 a bit worried about saying this, Rachel, because I I think I'm, I might come over a bit sort of preachy or whatever. So I'll say it, and if everyone doesn't judge me too much, then that's okay. But I got told a while ago that work wasn't a place where you could come to get better. Um, so work was a place you came to do your job, right, and to um serve the organization and make sure the shareholders were happy and all that kind of stuff. Um, it wasn't a place where people could bring themselves. Um, you leave your problems at the door, same way as we would ask, uh, I don't know, somebody serving in a restaurant if they'd had a bad day not to bring that onto the floor of the restaurant. So leave it at the door, put your corporate kind of hat on um, and just get on with it. And I always thought that was nonsense because I couldn't do it. I, 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 I was always been incapable of having a professional persona and a different persona. I only have one. It's not a very good persona, my one, but it's the only one I've got. So I just have to get on with it. And so I try to make my company a place where people can come and be themselves. That's the most important thing. Somebody, when we were a wee bit smaller, I used to say that we were like a a band. You know, it it was more of a band than it was a company. It was a a bunch of people with specialisms who kind of like doing stuff together. And then when you all did it well together, something really good would happen. Um, and you wouldn't quite know what it would be because that would be, you know, our, our jam session or, or whatever. And that was cool when it was five or six of us. Now we're a big band. Um, and you're, you're 20 people. It's, it's a wee bit harder to keep that right and. 
goodness only knows how you do it if you've got a thousand people. But this model is about allowing those people to be themselves. And I want it to be a place where if people are bruised from previous experiences, mm-hmm. um, if they've fallen out of corporate life, as I did, if they've found that the way that things have worked for them before isn't something that is sustainable for whatever reason, it, why can't it be a place? Why can't it be a place to come and get better? The, my dying days of, of corporate life were horrible. I had a terrible time. Um, a lot of it was self in, uh, self-induced, you know, and uh, this company setting it up and getting it going, whatever, made me better. So why can't that be true for other people? So that's what I would like to do. But that sounds lovely. And the reality is, we, you know, you've got to make money and you've got, to, you've got to get people paid and all that kind of stuff. But somewhere in there is that. Very good. Very cool. So I'm going to put a little tutu on you and give you a magic. Oh, not, not again. It's, it's not Thursday, is it? <laughs> um, and I would love to ask, with that tutu and that magic wand, you can change the financial services industry in an instant. What would you do? What would, what would happen in that instant? What would be the game changer? Oh, man, I think we would... Um, you know those you know those TV shows where the chief exec of the supermarket is made to go back to the floor and has to work with the wonky trolleys and scan the things that don't scan and all that stuff. Be that. It'd be that. Oh, it'd be that. I'd take a bunch of very very highly paid, very successful people, and I'd put them on the phones. Oh, I think we've got a program, haven't we, there, Mark? We do, we do. I mean, I, I don't think I don't think we'd be the first to do it, but we, we talked about. Dave being an inspiring leader before, some of the things I've seen, bosses I've had before actually, who, you know, have, have had good points and bad points. But one in particular I remember who insisted that every member of his exec spent at least an hour a month call listening. And that was a, a KPI for them. Uh, and that was soft, right? Cause they could, they could just say, could you pull me a few calls to listen to so I can say to, to, whoever his name was, um, that I've done my calls for this month. But I, I think for the, the genuinely powerful in the sector who have the, the ability to create major change, no soft options. You're not going to listen to calls. You're going to sit and you're going to listen to when people phone up like your parents might uh, and say, I have no clue what this means. What do I do? And I've tried to log in and I can't log in and the site is down. And I don't understand it. And I don't understand where my money is and what's going on. Can you help me, please? I want them to feel that. So if you're a financial services leader and you'd like to be on a program that Mark and I are going to pull together called Undercover Bob, (laughs) just call us up. We'd be happy to help. It'd be great because there'd be a bunch of kind of youngins, you know, starting their careers on these, uh, um, taking these phone calls. And then there'd be one guy. He's about 65 with a kind of expensively quaffed. Um, one of my colleagues calls it hair like a lion um, and uh, make them do that. And actually what we should do, Rachel, while we're at it, is we should make them take those calls from a spare room using the bedside table or a pile of laundry as their desk yes. uh, with a relatively crappy corporate laptop and a headset. Yeah. Uh, and um, loud flatmates outside and not much sleep and uh, very little money. I think that's what we should do. And it's only through trying to experience the life of the clients who are trying to work out what on earth is going on that you would actually get 
uh, the level of progression, I think, that we need. Very good. So I'm now going to move on to Mark and his hobbies and what he does outside of work. And and uh, the listeners can't see, but Mark has a, I would call it a recording studio, for, for want of a better word, in his background. He likes wearing, um, I would say, is it heavy metal? Clothing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah heavy metal clothing and there's guitars and, and recording studio equipment in the background. So tell us a little bit more about all that. Well, I'm into knitting, really. Uh, no, that's not true. I yeah, I, I like I like playing guitar, and um, I'm a, a 14 year old that never grew up really, and and then was given a budget. So I have some toys behind me, which happily the listeners can't see, and that I don't know it it it's, it's just kind of always there. One of the nice things I think about about music, whether or not it's kind of more extreme forms of music that that I enjoy or not is that it's always there for you. And if you choose to engage, so you don't just listen, but you actually try and play, it just allows you to switch different bits of, bits of your head on and off. Uh, and that's a, that's a really great thing. I don't know why I'm drawn to kind of more extreme forms of music, but I got into them in a kind of classic kind of teenage phase and never got out of them again. Uh, but there's an- what can the industry, what can financial services learn from those? Um, I can see you've got a top one called Insomnium. Is that is that a band? Yes, yes. Um, this is a Insomnium hoodie. I don't know if you have any listeners in Finland, in Helsinki, but they're a, a band from Helsinki, as so many of the bands I, I like are. I don't know what it is about Helsinki. Possibly very, very long hours of darkness <laughs> um, that um, inspires this kind of music. And the, I guess the a lot of the stuff that I like has... Uh, it has aggression to it and it, it goes fast. And if you don't, if you're not used to it, you may say, well, that's, that's just a noise, right? It's just, what on earth is going on? But it's not actually inside it. And it, the bands that I enjoy most allow this to shine through from time to time. There is melody and there is composition and there is cleverness uh, and there's thought and there's art actually inside as well. It might not be the art that that someone that's into Schubert or whatever enjoys. Um, but there is art inside that. And there's something about getting that balance between the melodic and the aggressive. I don't really know what that means for for kind of corporate stuff. I'm trying to think how I, how I refer one to the other, Rachel. I don't think it's very easy. Um, but there's something about saying, well, look, there are two sides to everything. And if we can balance them out properly then we'll do better. And you can probably apply that lesson uh, in, in, uh, in many different things. And the other lesson in it is sometimes it's good just to let go um, and uh, just get it all out there. You know, uh, We spend a lot of time being reserved and measured or whatever. Sometimes if we think something, maybe we should just um, say it. Or if you're these kind of bands, scream it. Scream it. Absolutely. Mark Paulson, principal of the Lancats. You have been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today on Flex. Thanks for having me. You just listened to Flex in the City. Catch us on our next episode.